2: This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine.
1: This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, there's the brown line, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Vinny J, take it away.
3: Bonus time on the Bendorowski show as I speak. It's Thursday, whatever it is, uh, in 2020. And the headline in the Chicago Tribune, I just saw this headline, D. uh, Indoor dining set for return to Chicago. So that's sort of where we're at on this day. We're about ready to go to restaurants. Let
1: me see here. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just made a reservation for tomorrow.
3: (laughs) Okay. We're going to go. All right. We'll be dining in. so, anyway, that's what's going on in the world. Uh, as we do in all bonus episodes, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
4: This is independent journalist Dave at I report on local government. Uh, and that would be Chicago.
3: That's correct. Thank you very much, (laughs) uh, Mr. Muller. Dave Gauertz, otherwise known as Mr. Bike. Ring, ring. Uh, When he used to come on the show to talk bicycling, he'd have that bell, but... um... No bell, Dave. You got to bring that bell back, all right? Well, when are we going to talk about bicycling again? I went for a bike ride today, earlier today, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah? So here's a question for you. Did you wear a mask while you were biking? No. Excellent question. Thank you for asking that. I did not wear a mask. I... I just... Oh, don't, I shouldn't admit this because Mayor Lori Lightfoot might come. Uh-oh, that could be her. Well, Sorry, well you, know,
4: <laughs> well, you know, my sister, who is, my older sister, who's a pharmacist, mm-hmm. I was talking to her the other day, and she's in Colorado. And she was like, she was kind of adamant. She says, what is with all these people bicycling wearing masks? What, the, what do they think they're, you know, they're moving 20 miles an hour? What the hell? You know, so she was pretty, uh, she was pretty miffed that, she, that people would expect her to wear a mask while,
3: is well, book. I've heard, uh, I, okay, just so everybody knows, I wear a mask whenever I go into any public, um, as you're supposed to, you know, store. I, th- I went to the dentist today wearing a mask. I even wanted to wear the mask. That must have made it really hard for your dentist. Helps. That was the joke I was going to do, but you said it uh, first. <laughs> uh,
5: and but- did you go
4: at 2 thir- two thirty? Oh, my God. <laughs>
3: That was good. <laughs> Whoa. Dave Glowats at Zanies. Uh so no, I, Zanies is closed forever.
5: Oh, okay. Well, he'll
3: be there anyway with a mask. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I have the mask at all times. I'm walking, people coming and put it on. But uh, I had something about being on a bike. Particularly, there was nobody around. I, I didn't think it was necessary. Maybe I was wrong uh anyway all right enough chit-chat Not according to my sister yes your well, your sister said i shouldn't have to wear one correct yeah right. yeah that's, that's running right. bicycling yeah yeah god that's just the thought of running with a mask it just sounds awful uh all right uh dave glow adds, so we used to talk bicycling but now we talk city politics and he does an outstanding job of listening following tracking the chicago city council and then preparing uh some excellent reports for us, and then we do a ref. So Dave, I'm gonna turn things over to you for the setup.
4: Today, I'm reporting, Ben, on the city council meeting that took place on June 17th. And of course, uh, it was during, it was via video conference. I think most of the, I'm not sure if there was anyone who was absent. I think most, most of the aldermen were there. And it was a pretty long meeting. Uh, They're getting to be usually three to four hours these days. And uh, this one was typical in that way. And we're going to talk about a few things that the council passed. And one of the first things I'd like to talk about is um, an ordinance that the council passed has to do with a proposal put forth by the Mayor Lori Lightfoot administration that is called for a provisional moratorium on tenant evictions, and um, eviction, if there are evictions due to failure on the part of a tenant to pay rent due to some impact by the COVID-19 virus, then this ordinance would apply. And this ordinance passed, oh, and by the way, Dennis Mitz is going to be our first audio. Mm-hmm. This um, ordinance passed 37 to 12, so that's, as you know, been a pretty big amount of opposition and there's a particular reason for that that is exemplified by the remarks of Alderman Emma Mitz of the thirty seventh ward, which is on the west side. That's roughly between Grand Avenue and Kidney Street. And let's listen
6: with what she had to say. Alderman Mitz. Thank you, Madam President. At least I get to be heard today. I wasn't a member of the housing committee. And, of course, I didn't even get a chance to state my concerns. I guess they wasn't relevant enough. But today I will tell you that I am truly concerned, particularly because in the community where I live at, it's mostly two, three flat homes here. And to have uh, a neighborhood that's already been disinvested in to have to forego being able to get that rental assistance or be able to pay their mortgage. I'm I'm very concerned because seniors have worked all their life for this. I'm not against their tenants being able to receive some assistance. I'm just saying in this neighborhood, I don't want to see any more vacant buildings, homeowners losing a building. A turnover. So, and having said that, at this point, I will vote no on the ordinance.
4: So, all of this pretty much represents the argument made by people who are concerned about small small business landlords. So, namely, people who are sort of an owner occupied two or three flats. And this ordinance will let their tenants, in some cases, skip rent. And Nits and others say, well, what are these building owners going to do if they rely on those payments to make their mortgage payments or their real, uh, real estate tax payments? So that's, that's an argument that many opponents had. Um, another interesting thing about it, I don't know if you noticed, she said at the beginning that she finally gets to speak yes. on this. Mm-hmm. So she didn't feel she could. And the reason she said that is that this ordinance had what's called a direct introduction. In other words, what often happens is when the administration was sponsoring an ordinance, they will usually, or often, introduce it at a city council meeting like the one we're talking about, and then it gets assigned to a committee and the text of it gets disseminated in advance. That didn't happen this time. This thing got directed by, um, um, introduced uh, two days before the city council meeting. There was a housing committee meeting. So that's what Mits is talking about. Is like, you know, this all happened pretty quick, and uh, I didn't get a chance. So that's, um, that's one of the things that she's not happy about. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you have any other clips uh, uh, dealing with this particular issue that you, you want Dennis to play right now before I weigh oh, you? Yeah. You, you do oh, yeah. or you do or do not. All right, let me ask you a question on this one. So it's thirty-seven to twelve. Now this is interesting. Uh, so people should follow the, following this at home. Emma Mitts, uh, as Dave has said, uh, is an alderman from the West Side, and she was a very close ally of Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and this her the fact that she is willing to vote against the mayor is just a, one more indication of how the Chicago City Council uh, is what feeling its oats. Uh, in the age of Laurie Life. Now, I welcome this. Dave, you know, you and I have had many conversations about uh, my belief that aldermen should feel uh, as though they could speak out against the mayor. Uh, we it, call it democracy. We call it small d democracy. Now, Emma Mitts is the alderman, follow me this, everybody. I'm going to go back in time, who is championing the police academy. She wanted a police academy put in her ward. Uh, the property was purchased with TIF funds. I believe Dave and I have talked about this in past shows. Uh, and uh, she prevailed. And she prevailed over the opposition, which was just like the f- the the emerging voice of opposition on policing issues in the city of Chicago. If you remember that, these debates, Dave, that went back to, I think it was 2017 or 2018, and Chance the Rappers.
4: That thing, thing still hasn't been built either.
3: That, well, welcome to TIFF. Uh, that, that's a whole other story. TIFF projects that are delayed and being built. Uh, so in, in, in effect, it was a big symbolic issue because the argument articulated in that debate was that the, the Chance the Rapper was the most prominent uh, person who was uh, putting this issue forth, is that why are we spending money building uh, a training facility for police, so effectively spending the money on police when we have so many other compelling needs, not the least of which is uh, mental health. So, you know, we close mental health facilities and we're building, instead spending money, building a new training center for police. So symbolically, that was an offensive uh, contrast. Emma Mitts uh, spoke up for that training center. She said her neighborhood needed it and uh, she got the votes to pass it overwhelmingly uh in the in the i think carlos uh ramirez rosa may have been the only vote against it in the uh in the face of chance the rapper and many opponents so it's just interesting dave here we are at a a year or two later a new era a new mayor and she's speaking up for residents in her ward i would just point out that there might be more money in the kitty to help landlords in two flats deal with a loss of rent because of pandemic there might be more money for assistance if we weren't dedicating money uh into TIF program to build a police center that just throw that out there dave a guy who never forgets anything just throwing that out there
4: which has exactly been an argument made by opponents to this ordinance that if they they say that you can do this rental assistance. I mean, it should be done. I think uh, everyone listening to this uh, at the moment we're doing it would agree that that's a good thing. But why not, as you say, couple it with uh, landlord assistance so, no, you know, so nobody gets screwed? And uh, one more thing is that maybe Elder and Mitch is pissed off that, that that academy has not been built yet. So she's, she's uh, getting back. Well, shall we move on?
3: Yes.
6: Let's move on.
4: Dennis, we're going to do Irvin next. Another thing that the council passed on the 17th was a resolution um, that calls for the establishment of a commission. And this commission is called the Chicago Descendants of Enslaved Africans Reparations Commission. And if you're keeping square at home, this resolution number is SR2019-694. This started in September, the the path of this resolution, and it began in the City Council's Health and Human Resources Committee, and I believe it was an outgrowth of a national movement, which I'm sure you're aware of, Ben, to pay reparations to people descended descended from African slaves brought to the U.S. And proponents in Chicago have wanted, for quite a while, an ordinance that lays out, here's the money that we're going to be, or the benefits that we're going to be paying to those descendants. But what they got this month at the city council, they got a commission instead of the ordinance, um, or a resolution to do a commission, actually. And that is the first step. And we're going to listen to uh, Alderman Jason Irvin talk about this particular um, resolution before the vote took place, and let's listen.
2: Alderman Irvin. Thank you, Madam
3: President. As it relates to this resolution and and ordinance, I want to ask that Alderman Napolitano and Alderman Spazato strongly reconsider their no vote on this item. Reparations is a subject, it's a conversation. And I think to deny the conversation, I think in the time that we face is somewhat a slap in the face to the members of the African-American community, not only in the city of Chicago, but nationally. So I I would strongly
2: hope that they consider that. I'm just going to caution you. We're now getting into, I think, going beyond your appropriate bounds. I, I think your point is taken. You've asked for a reconsideration. You can do that through the chair. But I think anything further is not appropriate in this moment.
3: Madam President, uh, I, I do understand your your position. Uh, I would just say that I'm just asking for them to reconsider their position. Wow! So what's going on here,
4: Ben, mm-hmm. is that um, the the proponents of this resolution were trying to get a unanimous vote, but there were two holdouts, and those were Alderman Anthony Napolitano, or the 41st Ward and uh, Nick Spavato of the
3: Oh, you're asking Austin. me? Okay, you're asking thirty-eight.
4: Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Very good.
3: He used no, to, to be the. He used to be the thirty-sixth, but he was ridiculous. Let's not go there. Okay, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I said, um, I said, I, I be quiet. Go ahead.
4: But, so, but those two held out, and um, and notice that it wasn't forty-seven to three. Of the the absent alderman was alderman Kerry Austin. I guess uh, at the top of this interview, I, I, I said there were, most of the aldermen were there where she was absent. And I don't know if it's anything to do with it, but it's coincidental that the city council meeting took place almost uh, the day, one year after the feds executed a search warrant on her office. But anyway, uh, we hear that um, it, uh, Alderman Irvin tried to uh, prevail there with the and Spazzato which he didn't. And at the very end, we hear Mayor Lightfoot playing the parliamentarian,
3: hmm.
4: which uh, she seems to be doing quite a bit of lately. So your comments.
3: Yes, this is fascinating, and we could probably do an entire show on this. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to try to be as concise as I can, but it's going to be very difficult because just listening to uh, Jason Irvin and then uh, Lori Lightfoot's response and realizing, I do, do you have any... Uh, t- The way we do this folks this is totally improv uh dave i do not listen to the clips before dave plays them so we just really get it fresh off our mind do we have any clips of Spizzato or napolitano addressing this issue no we don't okay so uh i will work uh knowing that Um, We
4: are, however, next going to talk about Alderman Napolitano's resolution.
3: Okay. All right. Well, Well, then I'll hold off on them for, and just talk about the issue of reparations. The issue of reparations, of course, is a national issue that the country as a whole should be facing. So it's not just the city of Chicago, but, Chicago has special significance uh, in this matter because one of the reasons why we're even talking, we're even having uh, this discussion of reparations is a very powerful essay that Tanisi Coates wrote for, I believe it was the Atlantic's. Uh, I forget how many years ago it was. I remember when I read it, uh, David had a profound impact on me. And it's, it, it was a call for reparations, and in telling, in making his argument uh, for reparations, he came to Chicago. He set most of the article in Chicago, and he retold a very sordid history, a very embarrassing history about race relations in the city of Chicago that had to do with the way uh, black people were treated on the west side when they tried to buy homes. They didn't really get, they couldn't get conventional mortgages, so they had to go to these secondary type mortgages where they were totally exploited by the people lending them the money. And so after putting money down and believing they uh, were buying uh, their home, they had no equity and they lost the house. And uh, Coach used that as an argument to show how difficult it was because of racism and redlining and discriminatory banking policies for black people, even in the 20th century, to get a leg up in Chicago. And it was in a way in which white people don't even realize that they have an advantage over black people. White people will never confront the notion that because of their race, they won't get a bank loan. Because of their race, they can't put their money toward owning a home. So this is like this most essential American dream to own your home and have property and use that as a form of... If investment that you could pass on to your children so that your family has wealth and one generation is wealthier than another was denied to black people in the 20th century in our lifetime. Dave, in my lifetime, not Dennis, he's too, he's too young. Although redlining is still going on. And so. Yeah, and we went in. In that respect, I want to give a shout out to our colleague Linda Ludden at
4: WBEZ Radio who just did a powerful series about. What you just said, that uh, banks, she she showed data that banks are not loaning residential loans, home loans, to people in black neighborhoods in Chicago.
3: I've been meaning to bring Linda Lutton back on the show uh, to talk about that. Thank you for the reminder. And so it's only appropriate, I think, given the fact of uh, Coates' article was centered in Chicago and talked about this very real disadvantage that black people faced, which is clearly a legacy of the racism uh, and of slavery, it's just so appropriate that Chicago would confront its history on this matter, and I share Jason Irvin's disappointment in the colleagues, his two colleagues in the City Council. And Nick Besan is an old friend of mine, but I, I was disappointed that they didn't join. It's just a resolution, and if if nothing else, it's showing your solidarity uh, to your colleague. He's making a, a direct personal appeal to you. And to hold out at that point, I think is disrespectful, not just to your colleague, but to the issue. It's a very important issue. And I just recall going back in time to that vote. And, and Dave, you and I have talked about it. And I think you were at the hideout when Scott Waggisback talked about it. The pressure Scott Waggisback, Alderman Scott Waggsback took when he was a rookie alderman in the Chicago City Council to be one of the 50 aldermen lining up to vote for that cockamamie Olympics, uh, where the city was basically agreeing to sign over a blank check for Mayor Daley's Olympics. And they put so much pressure on him because they wanted a 50 to nothing to send a message to the International Olympic Committee that Chicago was willing to bankrupt itself. That's how much it wanted the Olympics. They would could dedicate untold... Billions of dollars to this scheme, this dream of daily, and I just find th- contrasting that moment where they twisted Scott's arm into being the fifty to the, to make it unanimous, and whereas this, uh, in the case of Jason Irvin, uh, he he tries to make a direct appeal and it, it f- falls on deaf ears. So I'm very disappointed uh, in uh, Nick Spizzato and Napolitano. And come on, Lori. <laughs> Oh, my God, Dave. It's so funny. She's like, okay, we're going to be respectful here. You Have you heard the the exchange between Lori Lightfoot and uh, uh, our good friend Raylo? Have you ever heard we're that? We're going to talk about that. We're
4: going to talk about
3: that. Okay, all right. So given that exchange.
1: <laughs> I want an answer.
3: It's yeah. not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Anyway, t- that's my thoughts. Uh, I'm with you. Well, G- this
4: is a perfect segue <laughs> to the next audio segment. Dennis, we're going to do King next. I don't. I really don't have much to preface. She also, Alderman Sophia King of the Fourth Ward, also made comments about this uh, commission um, resolution. And let's hear what she had to say.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that in the middle of a pandemic, people are protesting all over the world, putting their lives at risk because they're trying to squash an even larger and more pervasive and contagious virus, another virus that renders us unable to breathe, especially when a knee is on our neck, a virus that we all know called racism, a racism that emboldens a woman in Central Park to weaponize her whiteness, to let a black man know that she can essentially have him killed simply by calling the police. I had to think about that for a while, but that's really what it was. A racism that allows Tulsa, Oklahoma to be blown up by a racist government and then for that history to be essentially erased from the history books. A racism that continues to allow for the disenfranchisement of black and brown people in our city. So I'd like to challenge members of the city council on Juneteenth or whenever to learn some true history, especially about African-American history and the contributions and the dissemination of wrong information and the murder at the hands of really your ancestors, white people's ancestors, so that you can serve your constituents better, so that you can serve our city better, We will not truly heal as a city until we recognize and continue to put policies and resources in place that mitigate the systemic racism that still exists and that white people have benefited from and continue to benefit from. You can't say that we had nothing to do with the decisions of our ancestors and yet continue to benefit from the atrocities of your ancestors. It doesn't work both ways.
4: Well, then you uh, echoed Alderman King or she echoed you in uh, your previous
3: point. Yeah, and I would I would take it one uh, one step further. Very uh, powerful uh, remark she was making, and she was addressing uh, the larger issue of race relations in this country. I'll take it back to Chicago. And white people, whether they realize it or not, are also victimized. Not, of course, nearly as much as black people— but this insane legacy we have of racial fear and prejudice has worked against white people. And Dave, when I first moved to Chicago in 81, the city was, it was about 10 years after Matt. You know this because you're from Chicago. Dave is actually from Chicago. He's a real Chicagoan, born here, went to high school here, everything. you talk about my accent? Yes, a very Chicago accent from the northwest side, Weber High School. With Mike Krzyzewski. I grew up on the
4: west side.
3: The west side, northwest side. But the high school's on the north side. Anyway, the point is is that you know you saw how neighborhoods changed. You know what the history of panic peddling is in this city. The first uh, integration lasts for as long as it takes. The first black family to move on the block and the last white family to, to sell and haste and flee. There are a lot of white people who were panicked out of neighborhoods, sold their homes probably for less than their worth, so it's obviously w- white people in Chicago are aware on some level of the legacy of racism in their city. To pretend that they're not, uh, that it doesn't affect them, I think they're kidding themselves.
4: Well, Ben, you said that you you were talking about the, the cost to white people. And I think that, yes, white people may feel that this... Um, these episodes in the 20th century into the 21st century has costed them, but I don't think they see it quite the way that perhaps you and I see it, where they see themselves as victims not of racism, but victims of different people coming into their neighborhoods. They don't. They, yeah, they definitely. I think feel like many feel like they are victims, but not in the way that you and I you and I are talking about. I don't think.
3: Yeah. Well, there were. Um, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, there were, when uh, I don't know if this generation is still around, but when I first moved to Chicago, I did many interviews uh, with white people, uh, w- white ethnics, as that, the, as that group was called back then, which I always thought was funny. Uh, that, that This was white ethnics as opposed to any other white people. Aren't they ethnic, too, of some kind? But anyway, whatever, be that as it may. Uh, and I heard many tell about uh, being the victim of panic peddlers, uh, that was a common uh, a theme, in fact. There were uh, programs uh, instituted on in the northwest and southwest sides of Chicago to, uh, quote-unquote, protect people from panic-peddling realtors, insurance programs that would guarantee the value of a home in the case of a black family moving onto the block. I mean, this is the history of race in real estate in the city of Chicago. Uh, it impacts black people the most, absolutely, but it also impacts white people
4: those white people were panicked not just over the loss of the value of their homes they were uh, panicked over being surrounded by the other the people not like them
3: yes that's know? true that's that in their crazy. minds yes you're right you're yeah. right
4: Dennis we're going to do Hairston next well this this conversation that we're having about racism and the effects of racism in Chicago leads very well into what we're going to listen to next and several things happen this month in June set the stage for what we're, we're going to hear. Um, this argument around or this uh, this um, conversation, this national conversation around race has dovetailed or has led to a national conversation to what's called defund the police. And it means different things to different people, but basically people are talking about, who are having this conversation are talking about reallocating resources from police departments nationwide to things like social services, mental health services, and the like. And um, what happened in June is on June 10th, Alderman Anthony Napolitano of the 41st Ward who we talked about a moment ago, announced that he'll introduce a resolution calling for what he named the Police Reallocation Pilot Program, which he wanted the Lightfoot administration to develop and then submit to the, the city council for approval. And this, this resolution is R2020-445. i was keeping score. <laughs> and I have Alderman Napala resolution
3: right here, <laughs> and it. I'll read from it. Love it when you crinkle it says, up the paper.
4: <laughs> it says, the program will allow each individual alderman to choose to forego all or a portion, but no less than 50%, of Chicago Police Department personnel, services, and resources allocated to their respective ward for the duration of the program. And any CPD resources deferred from wards as part of the program will be evenly distributed, perhaps I should have said redistributed, across uh, all non-participating wards before the program begins. And at the end of the program, the mayor and police superintendent will, will furnish a report detailing violent crime statistics by each ward. So that, he announced that he was going to uh, um, introduce that resolution on June 10th as sort of uh, an obvious pushback against this defund police narrative. The very next day, on June 11th, Mayor Lightfoot held a press conference where she was outraged by a revelation by Congressman Bobby Rush that he had video recording from a campaign office of his, that's on the South side, it's at roughly the Dan Ryan at 55th Garfield, where it shows about a dozen police officers hanging out in the campaign office for what he said was four to five hours on this video, while, according to the mayor, there was looting going on in this shopping mall. And during this press conference, when the mayor... Um, Uh, became very, like I said, very angry and uh, was using this as an excuse, perhaps, to try to propel some police reforms ahead. Alderman, uh, rather, Congressman Rush complained that not only were these cops lounging, literally, like there was one, uh, there were photos of this video recording. There wasn't wasn't actual uh, video shown and that's not been available. But Rush complained that These cops, not only were they lounging, but they used his coffee maker to make coffee and they used his popcorn uh, to pop popcorn. And he was, um, you know, it was an outrage. So that was at that press conference. Well, a few days later, on June 15th, Alderman Napolitano did an interview on WGN TV to push his resolution that I talked about a moment ago. And I guess it was done via, you know, a typical video conferencing uh, mechanism. So the camera that Napolitano had on himself had him posing with several boxes of popped popcorn in the foreground and a popcorn maker behind him. And Ben, I'm sure you've seen this photo, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what we're going to listen to now is comments by Alderman Leslie Hairston of the Fifth Ward. Um, in her remarks before the Reparation Commission vote, where she said exactly how
1: she feels about all of this. Most recently this weekend, I watched two of my colleagues on TV making fun of the looting in the city of Chicago, talking about their legislation. And while they have a right to introduce any legislation that they want, it was insensitive and inappropriate to do so with boxes of popcorn making light of a bad situation, of a horrendous situation. That is not acceptable. There was nothing funny about what happened in our neighborhoods, in the black neighborhoods, nothing to make light. And the fact that you had popcorn and the other one of you invited people to your office for popcorn and coffee is insensitive. And I've heard on the news that they keep talking about, well, there was an invitation to come into the office. Even if that was the case, the invitation was not for them to sit and do nothing and watch mayhem happen around them and watch the looting for five hours.
3: Leslie Harrison, Fifth Ward. Uh, Do you have any more uh, things to add to this, Dave?
4: Let me hear
1: your reaction.
3: Wow, again, we do a whole show on this. Uh, What we're seeing in the Chicago City Council is and i haven't seen this really i mean you got to go back to you got to go you could go back to the 60s and the early 70s and maybe some years in council wars uh this it was kind of quiet on this front in the 90s and the o's uh this sort of um law and order uh, debate and so all right let me back up a little bit uh napolitano and spazato as we indicated before uh are from the northwest side they wouldn't join uh, jason Irvin for a vote on, on a resolution okay they wouldn't join him on that vote they voted no i, I do not know why I've, i did not see their explanations in the newspaper and uh and they're they are uh, making fun of that incident and uh it it goes to, together with um, napolitano uh calling the bluff of uh, the defund the police movement with his resolution. And he is being disrespectful uh, to the positions of the Black Lives Matter protesters. And it is his way of mocking it. And I see this to one degree or another throughout the country, Dave, not just in Chicago. The most extreme case I've seen in recent days is a city councilman from some town, some city in uh, Arizona. I don't know if you've seen this footage where he was making a speech as a white man. He's making a speech. He started the speech wearing a mask. And then uh, while giving his speech, he said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then he took the mask off and everybody was laughing and he was yeah that's really stark yeah so that to the far extreme the Politano is not there yet but uh, again he wouldn't join with his colleague when his colleague made a direct appeal to him like just vote to have the resolution calling for a commission to investigate something I mean what is that going to do and uh and then, so he takes it one step further with the popcorn in the background. Napolitano is a police officer. Uh, his ward is filled with police officers. And I'm a big believer, Dave, in the collective bargaining rights of police officers. I stand with them on that 100%. I wish the city would get this contract settled with them. But I do not understand why the police officers are through their union, are pursuing the policies that they are. They've elected as their president a uh, an extremist, a Trump-loving extremist, and he is an extremist in terms of Chicago politics. Donald Trump is the most unpopular politician in the city of Chicago. I, get, I bet you he does not get 10% of the vote, maybe 12% tops uh, in this coming election. And so that's out of how out of touch the fraternal order of police is with the people who they're policing. And but not with their members. No, that's it's the members. At some point, people have to look in the mirror and go, am I making the right choice? You know, am I doing the right thing? I mean...
4: Well, the fact that then the, they elected this guy, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Katarn, Katarnza? Yeah. Um,
3: so, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That,
4: you know, he was elected in a race against the incumbent, Captain Graham. And arguably, I think most people would agree with you that the the winner of that race was the more uh, politically conservative person,
3: but he won by a pretty wide majority. Well, let me just go one step further. It was a runoff between two Trump supporters. So it wasn't like uh, John was running against Ben, you know, uh, a New Deal Democrat. It was, but my was, point is that, that
4: the police officers who did, who did vote, they showed where their, uh,
3: where their inclination Absolutely. Was. And they showed it in the first round when, don't forget, Kevin Graham was running for re-election by virtue of the fact that he was supporting a Trump. He had a meeting in the White House and where he was one of the fraternal police leaders, police union leaders that met with Trump. He had a picture of himself with Trump. Uh, so, it's not as though the union chose uh, a Trump lover over a liberal Democrat. They they chose him over another Trump supporter. So that's that just underscores your point. And I, so this is just me talking. It just as a strategic point, I think it might be work uh, to police officers' benefit if they try to be a little more accommodating with the people in the city of Chicago, at least politically speaking, less symbolically. They obviously don't see it that way. And Napolitano is uh, expressing their disdain for the the prevailing political views in the city of Chicago where most people, you know, are sympathetic uh to uh, victims of police brutality and our and he's
4: not alone he's not alone Ben. It's interesting to note that there are nine co-sponsors on this resolution for the reallocation pilot program. And uh, let me read them to you. Okay. And I'll so go it, into uh, that. It, go ahead. They're from all they're from all over the city. Yes. So the other one is Sposato. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Nick Spezado the thirty eighth. And also on the north side are Alderman Ariel Boirus of the thirtieth. Felix Cardona of the 31st, Jim Gardner of the 45th. And on the south side, we have Ray Lopez of the 15th, Marty Quinn of the 13th, Ed Burke of the 14th, Derek Curtis of the 18th, and Savannah Tabarez of the 23rd. What do you think of that?
3: Well, listen, um, I'm not surprised by those aldermen being there and uh with the exception of uh, derek uh, curtis uh, there's uh, no black alderman on that list and let me point this out this resolution that uh, napolitano proposed is calling the bluff of defund the police alderman and we've had uh your good friend dan lesbada was on the show Uh, along with Rosanna, Rodriguez-Sanchez, anybody wants to hear that interview, they lay out their argument for defunding the police. Carlos Ramirez-Rose has been on the show laying out his argument. Uh, Each one of those instances, I have taken issue with them because my years in the city of Chicago have shown me, Dave, that most people want police in their neighborhoods. The defund the police movement is completely unique to the city of Chicago. I've never seen anything like this. I'm curious as to where it will go. My guess is, uh, is that ultimately, if you had to uh, get, it would not prevail in the city council on a, a, a vote. Uh, the Politonum knows that. He's sticking the needle in with that thing, with that resolution. And that's uh, politics. It, and by the way, just, just think about the, the resolution itself it gets at sort of the same issue that's at stake with the, um, the vote it, that just took place with the city, with the Board of Education regarding police and schools. His resolution doesn't say to, uh, let's say, Carlos Ramirez Rose in the 35th Ward, okay, uh, you could take the money that was allocated to police and spend it on mental health facilities or social workers or people go to go door-to-door during uh, really hot days when there could be violence. no their resolution says if you don't want police you'll lose them you lose the money that's dedicated to them and we'll take them so (laughs) the point of the quote-unquote and that i think the name is 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 a awkward name and uh it it undercuts their message but the point of the defund the police movement as you said is to reallocate money so it's not just okay not spend the money it's instead of using money for police officers use money for social workers or mental health workers so when you just say all right you don't want <laughs> we we'll call your bluff you want to defund the police we'll take your police money but they're not going to give you yeah. money for mental health workers <laughs> you know what i'm saying so
4: yeah it's unfortunate with this um, cops in schools or school resource officers issue that the administration and the chicago teachers union can't uh, Instead of debating about whether or not to renew this contract of, that allows police to be in schools, that they can't sit down, and, you know, get out of uh, get out of debating in the media and uh, just sit down and and try to come to a compromise like the one you're talking about, Ben. Where you know, if you give up the cop in the school, that you can use that money for something else. It seems like a really reasonable compromise to me. But i not. I don't sit on that at that table.
3: I I, um, I share that with you, and I'll, when Stacy Davis Gates was on the show last week, we I was asking her about that. I do not understand why uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, and Stacy Davis Gates cannot work together.
4: Yeah, and... it is just it is just so nuclear all the time, and it's always like it's always running at ten, you know, at the, at the top of the scale, and it's just it's. I read, a, you probably read this too, there was a letter to the editor in one of the, the Times of the Trib recently from a, a high school student who said, you know, enough, why, why, can't, why can't the adults in the room <laughs> get it together, you know? Oh, and by the way, on this resolution by Spazzato, I can tell you what happened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was introduced uh, for committee assignment at the city council meeting at the end of the meeting. And the C clerk designated as being um, uh, taken up by the Public Safety Commission, at which point there was a parliamentary maneuver by Alderman Andres Vasquez, the 40th Ward, who said, no, I wanted to go to the Committee on Budget and Government Operations, which means, as we talked about in a, in a previous interview, it went to the Rules Committee, where many ordinances to
3: die. (laughs) So which ordinance would, are you talking about that? This was the the police reallocation uh, order. Okay. Well, uh, yes. So one of the progressives
4: used, you know, used the old machine tactic of sending it to rule.
3: Well, if it, if it comes out of rules, then we know that Mayor Lori Lightfoot's joining up with uh, Napolitano to really stick the needle in. Uh, But yeah, my guess
4: Speaking of which, actually, mm -hmm. Dennis, we're going to do Lopez next. Um, There was uh, an ordinance from the last city council meeting that did get sent to rules, got stuck there. And it gave the rules committee an opportunity to meet and get it out of committee. This was a a Lightfoot administration. um, They call it a tenant protection ordinance, which is different from the one we just talked about. This one uh, um, mandates notification of tenants when a landlord is about to kick them out and, uh, opponents of the ordinance had protested that it wasn't, it didn't go far enough. So anyway, it got uh, sent to rules by a parliamentary procedure at the May City Council meeting. So what we're going to listen to now is uh, the chair of the Rules Committee, Alderman Michelle Harris, was giving a report on that very thing, and um, there was some technical thing that happened. I think I've mentioned in the past that aldermen don't hold a roll call vote for each proposed ordinance they often take a vote early on early on in the city council meeting and then for subsequent proposals they invoke that first vote and for this particular measure that Harris brought up she proposed to do that but someone pointed out that the council had actually not taken an earlier vote oh, and it made for a sort of entertaining moment. and <laughs> <laughs> Madam,
2: Madam President. Yes, I'll- I would have to amend
0: my report because we actually use the, the most favorable roll call vote from finance. So
2: I think that's what's proper. Um, okay. Alderman, uh, would amend I would your, use your motion and then we will take a roll call vote. So there's a motion to um, amend my report. So I think we, we will have a, uh, a roll call vote on that. So the the, the vote is on a motion to amend
3: the rules committee. Hold on, sir,
2: please, if you could just be polite enough not to interrupt, just a moment. Let me finish speaking. I see that your hand is raised and I will call you, but we can't have people just talking out of turn because it will devolve into chaos. And if you would please be courteous enough to allow me to finish, I would very much appreciate it, Alderman Lopez.
1: Proceed, Madam President.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
4: <laughs> uh... <laughs> I know that you guys have recently been having a lot of fun with uh, the exchange, the recent other exchange between Alderman Ray Lopez <laughs> I and want to it like It's not something you ignore.
2: I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I
4: think. If you think oh, we no want offense, to fuck you, you then.
3: <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> I gotta tell you, man. Whenever I'm feeling down, about how crazy I'm, I <laughs> right, just give me some Raylo and Lori Lightfoot, you know. But that was the, <laughs> that clip you had was beautiful. The sarcasm just drenched, drenching everything Lori Lightfoot saying, you know. Oh, sir, goes, sir, if you could just sit down, shut up. <laughs> oh my God, oh, Raylo, Raylo. <laughs> I think, well, you know. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that Lori Lightfoot dislikes Ray Lopez even more than she dislikes Stacey Davis-Gates. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
4: Uh, Dennis, we're going to do Garza next. Well, this this leads us into uh, this last piece that is actually not from the uh, June 17th City Council meeting. It is from the conference Mm -hmm. from which that clip that you guys have been playing uh, repeatedly, ad infinitum, comes from. (laughs) And uh, even though that is the most um, well-known, that exchange between Lightfoot and Lopez is the most well-known part of that. Many people don't realize that that conference, which took place on May 31st, lasted for an hour and 10 minutes, mm. it, and it happened the the first after the first day of intense looting took place around the the uh, George Lopez uh, Lopez. I'm sorry. Um, George. Am I blanking out his name? Uh, yeah, George Floyd's Floyd, uh, uh, death. Um, and so the stated purpose of this conference was for the administration to update Aldermen on what was going on, on public safe- in terms of public safety efforts after the first day of looting. And it gave all of the 50 Aldermen a chance to vent uh, about what had happened in their wards and to ask questions. So as I say, it's over an hour and there's a lots of compelling audio. But I I picked this one piece. Let's listen.
5: Alderman Garza. I just want to tell you guys, um, my ward is a a shit show. Cop cars burning, banks burning. We had to put the bridges up. And the mayor's right. The police can't keep up. And I know Michelle and Greg can attest. uh, Fourth District is huge, and our police can't do it. They're shooting at the police. I have videos right across the street from my office of people shooting, sorry i i've never seen the likes of this and i i want to tell you this kicked off in my ward this morning at about 11 o'clock it wasn't a protest it wasn't anything like that it was about 40 people that showed up in the dispensary lot and a dispensary most of you guys know it's like Fort Knox. getting in there there was people trapped inside they were break trying to break down the front door and they were calling the police police couldn't get there fast enough The employees had to escape out the back door, and they got in. They got through four doors full of proof glass. They cleaned the place out, and then they just went from 85th and Commercial all the way down to almost 91st Street. And now they're by my office on 106th. They're in Hegwish. We had to close the roads coming from Indiana into Illinois. I've never seen anything like it. I'm scared. I... You know, this is broad daylight. I don't know what night is going to bring. My question is, what are we going to do for tomorrow? I, you know, sorry. I, I, I. No,
2: it's, listen, Sue, it's, I can't tell you how many, many times I've cried today.
5: Okay, and, now. And, no, here's, I'm it's sorry. Terrifying. These, some businesses are brand new. I mean, we, sorry. I, I, I just, my hope thing is i just want to make sure nobody gets hurt and i mean there's business owners now i know i talked to a lot of you guys there's business owners that are sitting there with fucking shotguns in there because they're scared companies gonna come i just i put out an email i called Staff has been working all day telling businesses close down go home please don't stay open i I mean what's gonna happen tomorrow you're like, but what are we doing and what is the role of the national guard are they gonna come to our wards or what's what's the thing what are we doing here
2: So first of all you're expressing I think sentiment that a lot of us feel this is something that we've never experienced before it's hard for me to wrap my mind around people destroying
5: their own neighborhood they're and shooting they're shooting like it's a fucking wild wild you know south it's crazy I got videos of, I have over 10 videos of people shooting at other people like it's insane like broad daylight they're just shooting again
2: to bring in as many reinforcements as we possibly can. We've canceled days off. The National Guard will free up resources so that we can put more resources in to the neighborhoods where it's desperately needed. We also have almost 200 uh, state police. We are looking at bringing in resources from surrounding suburbs. But the truth <coughs> is, they're having exactly the same problems that we are. This is a region-wide problem, and truthfully, it's a nationwide problem. Every city. Worse as we are. It doesn't make it any better, but it's helpful context. I can't explain the psychology of people being so reckless and ruthless and engaging in such blatant criminal behavior in broad daylight. But this is a massive, massive problem, and people are just fucking lawless right now.
5: Well, I think it's it, one of the things that's really important that we all are on the same message, right? right. We don't have to keep saying the same message. so we're not on the same message. I'm sorry, we're not on the same message. Some of my colleagues are preaching that this is
3: something of a genuine insurrection and it isn't. This is about the city. The life of the city is just being taken off and it's not right. If you're an elected official and if you're saying that, that just cannot be right. And we have to call that out.
4: That's a very <clears throat> stark description. On the part of Alderman, Sue Alderwoman Sue Garza, yeah, of the 10th Ward, of what's going
3: on. Yeah, it's Sue Sidlowski Garza from the 10th Ward, and her second term as Alderman and Alderwoman, and that was very moving, very powerful stuff uh, from her heart. Uh, we I we've been playing the exchange between Raylo and uh, Lori Lightfoot, and it seemed as though Raylo was deviating a bit and and needling Lori Lightfoot Uh, in terms of Sue Garza, Sue Sedlowski garza I just felt she was speaking from the heart about a moment of desperation uh, that her ward was facing. And Dave, the reality is that we don't know. I've been thinking a lot about this. We as a city don't know what the strategy was uh, in those first few days of, of rioting and looting. And uh protests, where everything was mingled together, and we had situations where people were uh, where they the, so many police were guarding trump tower, at which and there was so much concentration in the downtown area, and that's what set Lori Lightfoot off when Ray Lopez pointed it out to her, and Sue Garza did not uh, make that accusation; she didn't talk about diverting police resources to the downtown area she she just spoke from her heart about what was happening in her ward she didn't turn it into an accusation and so uh, lori leifert clearly didn't feel threatened by it but i think i'm hoping that i don't know in the next few months or so chicago will do something that it very rarely does and that is take a look back and seriously analyze the uh, in this case the response that the city had uh, to uh, the, uh, what, what do you want to call it? rioting, looting, protests, you know, what was... The disturbances. What was the goal? What was the strategy? You know, what was the purpose? How, did they, how are resources distributed? Uh, and, uh, you know, almost like... I heard like- a
4: very interesting interview with former police superintendent Gary McCarthy the other day where uh, he, he talked about specifically... Those things. So yeah, I think that narrative is going to start to come
3: out. Well, we'll see. Chicago has a great tradition of ignoring its problems, uh, sweeping under the rug. Sweeping. We we started this show talking about the real estate practices that uh, black that uh, victimized black homeowners, wannabe homeowners in the fifties and the sixties that we're still paying a price for. You know what I mean? Talking about so. I'm not going to put money down on the city doing a very systematic effort. I hope it were to happen, but I think already people are sort of pushing it aside and, and moving on.
4: Well, you know, we do have some outside scrutiny being brought to bear. The woman who is the uh, monitor for the Chicago Police Department consent decree uh, has agreed, reportedly, to take a look at, in some ways, I'm not sure how uh, all-encompassing her look is going to be, but in some ways she's going to look at, how um, how the response of the police department was to some of these disturbances. And uh, she's not under control of the administration at all, as far as I can tell.
3: Well, I welcome that. I, I welcome that. That, uh, yes, not to be under the control of anyone, be as independent as you can. And there was, I just read an article, I think it was a Jill Lepore article in The New Yorker about the tr- grand tradition in our country, not just Chicago, but in our country, of doing... Uh, investigations reports and studies uh, after unrest disturbances riots uh, and then completely ignoring the reports you know once they're done then she was in particular talking about the kerner report the famous kerner report that was produced in the yeah. aftermath of the 67 riots so we'll see what one happens one more
4: point I mean. about the yeah one more point about this particular conference that we listened to an excerpt from um, you know Ben you and I talked to Aldermen pretty regularly, and over the past year, I've heard aldermen say repeatedly that they don't get enough dialogue with the Lightfoot administration. And one of um, these aldermen said to me recently that one of the that they fear that one of the unfortunate fallouts from this hour and ten-minute conversation being leaked is that it'll make the Lightfoot administration shy to have future such conferences. Because it was, as I say, an hour and 10 minutes, there was a lot of um, sharing and gut spilling, like you heard from Alderman Garza. Garza. And I think it's just from a good government perspective, I think it's helpful when our (laughs) elected officials get together and figure stuff out, you know, and um, so that, that's a possible downside of all this stuff being um, uh, publicized. And, you know, there's a whole other issue, whether it was even legal to have that meeting, and uh, whether it's in violation of the State Open Meetings Act, which I won't get into. But, uh, yeah, I, d- I do understand this fear uh, this on the part of some that this will uh, make it harder for that dialogue to
3: take place in the well, future. Well, that would be the typical Chicago reaction. That that, oh, yeah. that that would Jerk be the, the typical Chicago reaction. Oh, transparency? Jerk less transparency. First of all, the meeting was illegal. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't... Look, Sue Sadlowski-Garza poured out her heart. She was real. She was who she is. You know, uh, she's come on my show and dropped the F-bomb. So, you know what I mean? She's known to drop the F-bomb. What's the big deal? Uh, so, I... I if if Alderman and the mayor, the lesson they take from this is to have less transparency and less cooperation, then that's just a classic Chicago. <laughs> I can't believe that's the that's what they're taking away from this, Dave.
4: Well, you know they they regularly do have Alderman so the administration going back, you know, as, as far as you or I can think, probably, in terms of mayoral administrations, have always had mayoral briefings with aldermen. But they're generally of groups of around a dozen, Mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. You know, there's six to ten. And if I recall correctly from the Open Meetings Act, it's 14 or 15 of elected representatives in a room is what triggers the requirement for it to be a public meeting. Mm -hmm. So... Somebody in the law department <laughs> at the Life administration was out to lunch on this one, because uh, that you know that that requirement of you know an open meeting being after a certain size is reached. I don't think
3: is an obscure rule. You yeah. know? no, I don't, and yeah. I uh, and uh, it's not an obscure rule at all. And I do recall uh, Daly and Rahm being a little more careful on this front uh, when they did their little meeting. And I didn't like them when they did them. I remember uh, meetings about the Olympics in the daily years. They made sure there's like seven guys in a room. All right, is that okay with the open meetings act? You know, again, it's the things they do to avoid following the law uh, is uh, the part of the problem. So, well, that's all I've got today, Ben. Well, that's uh, you did quite a job. That's a great job. Listen, that's the people cheering. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. uh, Next
4: city council meeting is on uh july
3: 22. okay uh, i should have done Mark this your calendars folks. july 22nd so we'll bring you back for that i should have done this at the outset i apologize they give information where people can uh, find the stories you write and the uh, uh the recordings you drop all that good stuff
4: you can find my reporting at inside chicago government on your web that's chigov.com if you want to find my stuff on facebook Go to Facebook, me, Facebook.com slash InsideGov. And on Twitter, follow me at C-H-I-G-O-V-T.
3: All right, very good. Dave Goetz, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars.
5: Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.